Open up my window. Hi. Oh my gosh, hey. we just started recording. Where did Susan go? Susan left us. Hey, Kat. <laughs> hey, Don. Hi, Addie. Hi, Susan's still here. Susan, you took your... We can't see you. Is that what's happening? I don't... Well, it's I don't a podcast. Know. I don't know why you're yeah. not. Hey, well, you sound good. I can see I, her. I don't know why. Oh, my internet quality issues. Her, their video is still okay. recording. Okay. That's okay. Well, it's a, that's all right. Are we it's good? It's a podcast. The show must go on. The show must <laughs> go <good>. on. <laughs> so, everybody, first of all, um, happy, happy September. We're, like, thick in September. It feels like... I got a note slipped under my door that was like, summer left, just so you know, see you, bye. Um, right? Doesn't it feel like all of a sudden it's like fall? Trees are um, starting to change. I noticed that because I was uh, driving away. And uh, I noticed that the there's more yellow in the air and those cicadas and kids are back at school. Addie, how are your kids back at school? Are they in person? They are in person for the first time since March of 2020. Wow. wow. They have masks wow. and seem to I noticed survive. a change because... <laughs> I noticed a change because everybody's freaking out. <laughs> I'm getting more calls. I have a, I've been uh, inundated with... Uh, there's a change in the air and I don't know what to do. And uh, season, people who, who are living with seasonal disorder tend to want to have a conversation about their anxiety about seasons changing. So it's, yeah. it's you know, that feel, you know, that feel that happens. And so Kathy, you're I'm, dealing, you're helping some young people transition to in-person life, right? You have, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, Kathy, talking to you. Are you here? I'm here. I'm here. Paging Mr. Herman. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. That's Susan. Um, yeah, no, we have a lot going on. Um, we have a big workshop coming up in September, uh, Susan and I. I don't know what you were talking about, Don. I'm talking about that, like, you're helping people who are going back to college and adapting. Oh, yes. Yes. yes Dealing yes. with back to school anxiety, <laughs> the kids that you help. Hello. <laughs> I help a lot, so I don't know which category. Uh, yeah, I tend to help a lot of people who are especially going into college, uh, transitioning into Susan's like, oh, my God, uh, who are transitioning, especially at college. I have a lot of college um, clients, and it's been really helpful creating safety plans and having that anxiety. I work with a lot of younger kids who, are, who have a lot of high anxiety, so that's been really, really uh, great to work with them. Yeah, I hope everybody yeah. adapts well, and I hope they stay in school. I hope that they're able to figure it out and, you know, not send them home suddenly. Ugh, the frenetic energy is really crazy. It's a lot right now. Like I said, this change, whenever there's a change, we've been talking about transition and changing. Even from last week, we talked to Kristen from Photomuse about, um, you know, transformation, it seems like this time of year, especially when we're going into, uh, you know, Samhain, that 
you're kind of you're you're celebrating the harvest of the all the hard work you've done from the past year and then okay now that's done people have trouble pathfinding because they're like what do we do next mm-hmm. right and that's when we need to take a minute and say sometimes you have to panther it and just say you don't have to do anything right. you don't have to decide right now what the next step is how about we just enjoy our harvest and that's right. where all the anxiety is coming in that they have to have all the answers about tomorrow right now so um you know that's the big work right now that's the big work and uh, I know Don and I are trying very hard to come up with ideas on having access to help, you know, for help. You can join us on Patreon. We're having workshops with Susanna. You know, you could you can contact me for a private session. Uh, there's just so many things that can help you, you know, kind of create safety plans so that this anxiety doesn't take you over. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's what sure. I'm trying to think about. Yeah. So speaking of energy and vibrations out there, it's our 133rd episode. Yay! Yay. And 33 is one of our family's numbers. And Susan, you said it's your number two, right? It is. My birth date, uh, the day I was born, turned into a 33. Yeah, yeah. So love that number. Big fan. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. My dad's social security number has a 33 in it. Our mother's social security number has a 33. Our home phone number growing up was 5336. Um, when my parents moved to Hopewell, they were really nervous because there was no 33 in anything. And then Hopewell zip code is 12533. Yep. So they felt better about that. Every <laughs> single, this is not an exaggeration, every single car registration even mm-hmm. our boat registration has mm-hmm. the number 33 in it. My dad and my mother's passport numbers, 33. 33 is everywhere in their lives. And when dad, uh, the last couple days that dad uh, was in the hospital, and he was really struggling to transition from, you know, being ill into hospice before home. They said, we're going to put you in another room before you go home. And dad was like, I just want to, you know, he just wanted to know exactly what was happening. And he transferred into a room that was like 533 or some 433. And he Mm. was like, this is the end. This is the last hospital room I'll ever (laughs) be in. And he was right. He was right. Wow. I have to add that Henry's Henry has a 33 and Nico has a 33 in their personal numbers. It's that interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. 33 is a master number. Um, it's all about reverendship. And um, I want to take that opportunity to introduce my uh, dearest and loving friend, Susan Brooke, to our hello, podcast. Hello, hi, Susan. Hi. I'm so glad to be here. She's also a reverend and yeah. We're so glad to have you. Uh, I've been wanting to, we've been wanting to have you for a while. It seems like it's perfect opportunity to talk about it. I've known Susan for 20 years, 20 years. Yep. She's been a, a an example of what we talk a lot on the podcast about friendships that ebb and flow. And there's this chemistry that just always seems to work when we come back together. Right. And yep. so... She's, uh, uh, this is very interesting. Yeah, this is very interesting that Susan is my go-to person uh, and my peer 
when I'm on a level, she meets me where I'm at and brings me up. <laughs> she has to pull me up. Yeah. So I'm always so grateful it. for her. Yeah. She's a, in her private life, she is a medium and she is a master oracle and reverend. And so uh, she, we complement each other so well, Susan. Very well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, exactly. She does. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Yep. We're a good team. Yep. And uh, she, yeah, and she's helped me when I was going through my ordination, going through school. She was very helpful because she had already been a reverend uh, in uh, interfaith, right? Is it interfaith mm -hmm. you were yep. reverend? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, what do what do you consider yourself, Susan? Um, when, mm -hmm. oh, we've spoken about this. And I, so I, she already I, been through the process. Yeah. So she, I, I consider myself a buffetist. Yeah. I take the I take the best I take the best and the best spiritual <laughs> parts of, of different religions and incorporate them into the work that I do, including counseling and and uh, my own personal walk. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, being a buffetist, it's really hard to find like-minded people. And so that was the one that's the one connection that Susan and I have is is the buffetist attitude and the oracle you know oracle thinking and together we've helped so many people we and we've helped so many people yeah so i wanted to kind of talk about uh how we came back together sure which i think is a phenomenal story and um because i uh, what i love about the podcast is that we can talk about metaphysical and spiritual experiences and it's not weird it's like yeah it's expected to tell these stories exactly um if any of you are fans of ours all of you that are listening if you listen to cosmic what was it donna cosmic uh to-do list episode cosmic to-do list this is susan <laughs> this is the susan is, where we helped yeah uh the helped us the guy with the car battery the yeah the, the guy with the car battery yeah yeah you pop started yeah. their car for them <laughs> yeah that was fantastic it's great it's great <laughs> <laughs> I had to listen to dad. I forgot how to pop start a car. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to ruin this guy's car. And man, I, it was amazing. <laughs> so that's great. a great episode. You can go back and listen to that. Yeah. So Susan, I need your help. Cause I think that, you know, it's been, it's been a couple of years, but sure. I don't know quite how to go back into how we got reconnected. So do you have any thoughts on that? Maybe you can tell it better than me. Sure. So, you know, probably best just kind of dive right in. Uh, back at May 22nd, uh, 2019, my husband was unexpectedly killed uh, while riding his motorcycle to work by a negligent driver. And um, he was he was beloved. He was an, an amazing person. And I don't say that because I'm biased, although I, I am biased. Uh, he was just a well-loved, well-known person and word got out very quickly. And I didn't know that you had heard, but you did hear. And so, uh, so I'm going to flip it to you. You were on the receiving end of the information uh, and what your reaction okay. was. Okay. So I'll, I'll pass it back to you so you can pick up there. Yeah. Okay. So Tim, uh, Tim and Susan, uh, a very close family for, like I said, for 20 years and we ebb and flowed. And Susan is an extremely active member in the community. She is basically, she runs the, the food pantry. She is, you know, 4-H. She has two kids, homeschooling. So sometimes our, and my life was a little chaotic. And so we kind of separated unintentionally. 
our life just went apart. So I wasn't, I hadn't spoken to you, I think for years, yeah. for quite a few years, mm -hmm. four or five years, yeah. but always in, but always in, in my heart, always in my mind, sure. always loved yep, you absolutely. and your family. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And I, I found out that Tim, Tim. Yeah. And uh, when I found out Tim had passed away, I did not know how to contact you. Right. Because I had switched phones by then. I didn't have your number. I didn't know if you wanted to talk to me, you right. know, even though I love you, right. you're not responsible for my feelings. Right. So you cannot love me back. <laughs> like, is this a time? Yeah, no. yeah, exactly. What do I do? Is this a time? Yeah, is this a time? <laughs> that I reach out and say, I love you. I miss you. Yes. And so I was in the kitchen table and I, and when I found out Tim passed, I was a mess. And Sophie and Henry were watching me and I was pacing back and forth and I kept saying, I have to get to Susan. And it was like yeah. this overpowering urge, yeah. like, like this urge that I could not control. And I realized it was Tim. Yeah. Tim came to me and says, you've, you've got to contact Sue. She'll cut, she'll find you. Yeah. So I finally just wrote like I think I donated so much money to each charity <laughs> so you can see me I, I, I think I've spent more money on LGBTQ on on flowers for Algernon I don't know what I was donating to so many things that you guys have food pantry has yeah. like yeah. thousands of dollars from Kathy Caminero like trying yeah. to get the message out i'm here i love you i'm thinking about you yeah. and uh finally I, I left a message and i think it was months later i think you found it yeah and you contacted me and as soon as you did i drove right over yeah absolutely and i just remember just crying in your arms saying i just gotta cry right now like you know like i don't you start i'm here i just said i'm here yeah yep Yep. And that, I, was, um, that was everything. I said, I'm here. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and we've been joined at the hip that, ever since. And that was it. And there fair. was a lot of bonding yeah. and reconnecting. Yeah. 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 Two years, like just every day, pillow talk, what's happening. Yeah. Yep. And, um, I, w Tim is very close. I'm able to, to, uh, you know, talk to Tim. Yeah. And, uh, when I first went over to your house <laughs> to make a long story short, I I didn't put gas in the car, right? In my car, oh, and I couldn't right. get home. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Keep going. Keep telling it. Yes. It's a good story. And I and I, okay. So it's eleven o'clock at night. I'm hanging out with Susan. No gas stations open. And I go, what do I do? She just locked the door on me and I'm going to have to disturb her. I haven't seen her in years. And I finally bang on the door and you're like, what? I was like, I have no gas in my car. I can't get home. Yeah. And you gave me the keys to Tim's truck. Yep. And I didn't have my GPS and I didn't know how to get home from there in this big truck. Yeah. And I and I was really like, I didn't know what to do. And Tim got me home. He went through every back way. And I told her, I was like, I got home and Tim showed me the way. And we've had like this, there's this thing that happens when you, you genuinely love people and you have a bond mm -hmm. that you always find your way back. Yeah. And that's the amazing magic story about, you know, Susan and I is that we always seem to go back to each other.
Yeah, you know. The, so anyway, that's our connection. The thing is, people, um, people you know, are either you know on your way or in your way. And so for a time they're on your way, and then if, as people's lives change, sometimes they end up kind of in your way, and they have to move to the side. And then you pick them up again later if it's meant to be. And especially when you have a relationship like ours, where it's just, um, just the foundation has always been there and carried through. It's like, yeah, you'll be back. We'll be back. Like even if we're not together, it's like, yeah, we'll be back somehow in the universe. And that's that's sort yeah. of been our journey. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's very inspiring. It's very inspiring. And the one thing that's really inspired me is that how you have. Uh, gone through your the grieving process and watching you just become the most incredible role model and warrior for this trauma that you experienced. And so I admire you for that. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to say that out loud that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, since, go ahead, Donna. I was just going to say, well, Susan, do you feel comfortable talking about that? I think that people can relate to a story of grief and then how you cope with that. Like when Kathy says, I really admire you. I personally, I don't, I don't know your story. Sure. So, so when Tim passed away, uh, it was, um, first I should probably back up a little bit. Our family has a, a long history of dealing with death. We've lost Tim lost both of his brothers before he passed away. We lost both his parents. My father's gone, just people that we love. We had a lot of death. And so conversations about death for us happened really easily. Uh, we, we find levity in death, which a lot of people don't. We talk really openly about death, which people don't. And so <clears throat> when Tim passed away, we had an immense support group. I, I, at any given time for probably the first two to three weeks after Tim passed away, there were 20 people in my house. There was always somebody here and, and a large group of them. And from pretty much the minute that I found out that he passed away, um, I knew that there was going to be a lot to handle because I'd gone, there's a muscle memory. When you do this enough, you just know. And um, an, an example of one of the first things that happened was people started asking me how I was immediately minutes out. Are you okay? Are you okay? Okay. And, and I hate that. And, and I don't mean that in a mean way. It's just, it's going to happen, you know, for, for days and days, years and years. And so I immediately said, um, if anybody's going to ask how I'm doing, how you're doing, you have to say it like Joey from Friends. So you have to say how you doing. And that immediately will bring levity into the <laughs> hand. Again. So that's absolutely what I did. So everybody that came in got told, if you're going to ask how anybody in the Brock family is doing, you have to say it like Joey from Friends. And so, <clears throat> so that immediately took a degree of pressure off of, of the situation. And, um, we had just other truths. I was just very open in how I felt. So if I felt like keening and there were 20 people in my house, they participated, like they were there. I did not hold back anything. And, uh, and if, if people couldn't handle it, they would leave, but everybody handled it quite well. So we didn't, you know, we didn't, it wasn't really a thing. And it really helped in that process to just be very out loud about it, um, to be really truthful into what, um, mm. you know, what was going on. There we go. Um, so, uh, you know, another coping mechanism was um, to be able to say, I don't, can I curse on here? Do you have to edit it out? Uh, well, just, this effing sucks. If, oh, yeah. if anybody wants to oh, say, no, I yeah. say, I say cunt all the time. Okay. So, 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 at any point, anybody who loved him or was in the room could say, this fucking sucks. And the rest of the room had to say, here, here. 
in the loudest voice possible. So it'd be this fucking sucks here, here. And it was like, you know, mm-hmm. it was like a huzzah mm-hmm. thing. Almost immediately it became a sort of a Viking call to arms, which was unintentional. Um, although I had that in my, in my background, in my genetic makeup. So, uh, you know, at the funeral home, I had 2000 people came through that funeral home and, uh, I listened to everybody's story. I granted everybody the same grace that the people in my world were granting me, which was waking up with me when I was having terrors and my, and, and my body was seizing from the adrenaline things I'd never experienced before in my life. Mm. And I offered the same thing to people who were coming through the line at the funeral home. Everybody needed to be heard. So it was, it was a lot, a lot to listen to. And at one point when I thought I was going to lose it towards the end of the night, I said, I said to the person, I don't even know who it was now. I, maybe they remember who they were. I said, do you want to see something cool? And they said, sure. And so in the funeral home, I yelled, this <laughs> fucking sucks. And the entire room, hundreds of people went here, here, because they all knew. So, so that, that sort of mm-hmm. aspect of grief and <laughs> yeah. just being really honest with, with what feelings were and out loud about it and allowing the people who love Tim to react the same way, uh, just to be out loud with how fucking awful it was, really laid some groundwork for what happened going forward. Because um, one of one of the things is that, you know everybody sort of relates to is that after you know a couple of few weeks, people have to go back to their lives, and and then they have to also process their own grief. They've been so busy being a support system that they haven't been able to be honest and have really time for themselves. And not only is there a falling away because people have to get back to their lives, Mm -hmm. but in processing their own grief, um, I became the face of Tim kind of. So if it was challenging for them to look at me um, because Mm. they were worried about me or they saw Tim and they couldn't handle him being gone, you know, they, there was a stepping away and many of those people haven't been able to come back. And, and I understand that sort of realignment when you're used to being part of a couple and people don't get that. It was very challenging and um, it, it, it hurt for a time, but then I just had to accept that this is what, what it is. And every major life change, you lose people and you gain people. So, uh, and, and that is held true, you know, in my case. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and then in part of my process, I, I wrote to him and I talked to him and, and I started writing poetry and, um, and I ended up, I wrote a book, which we can talk about at another time, but I wrote a, a book and, and it was just genuinely everything that I was feeling, everything from flowers at a funeral, what that means to, po- to getting cards, grief, you know, sympathy cards to all, all of those processes and being able to unwrap that and put words to it. And then realize that there, I've never seen words like this anywhere else. And the one key thing that's missing in our society in general is that people don't talk about death. And they don't, they don't have a good relationship with it. If you ask people who mm-hmm. has, who, who has the will in place, who has their, their affairs sorted out, people, the vast majority of them don't. And, and it's a shame. Tim and I talk so much about it. We, I had a real blueprint. We, we made a blueprint for each other. I just happened to be the one who had to use it um, for, you know, after one of us passed away, we had, you know, mm. we weren't allowed the other, you know, oh, yeah. we had, weren't allowed to give up. Like we were going to haunt the other one if they gave up and did stupid shit, like not carry on. And, and, um, you know, Tim would say mm-hmm. things all the time. Like, what do you want me to do with whatever, you know, when you die? And he's like, what am I going to care? I'm going to be dead. Like he just, it was just a very honest, you know, conversation. So there are often times when I might've been grasping at, at straws or, you know, breathing just there were moments where I just had to get through minutes because grief is very much like that, that I would kind of 
lean back on Tim's words in our conversations. And that was really helpful. And one thing that I, you know, one thing I can't stress enough to people is do that planning. And the other thing is just talk about, just talk about it. Nobody gets out of here alive. So stop pretending like if you avoid it, it's not going to be a reality because it, it certainly will be. Mm. And, and there's a piece in that. There's a piece in saying, well, instead of, instead of somebody saying they would have wanted it that way and you're trying to, you know, win your case or, or distract them or do something to actually be able to say they would have wanted it that way and know that in truth, this was a discussion and they would have wanted it that way. It's a very profound difference. And, and for, it's always, you know, it's the people who are left behind. The person who's gone is, you know, yeah. great. It's, it's those of us who get left behind. What do you, what do you want to say, Kat? Susan, I want to interject. First of all, thank you so much for saying that. You know, we were talking, we've had, we've talked about it before called mindful grieving. Mm -hmm. And it's easier said than done. And mindful grieving is when you feel your feelings, which Susan, we've talked about, you have to feel your feelings, not holding them in, Mm -hmm. because that's where you create disease. Mm hmm which in a, in, a, in a previous podcast, when we talked to, about Colleen, you're familiar with her story yeah. about her grief sure. went to the core of her bones. And we have permission to talk about that, that because she wasn't able to express her pain, she wasn't able to right. have that honest conversation and had to take care of so many other things. Right. She wasn't able to do that emotional self-care. Right. It created that, that disease that holds us and that's when we get blocked and and having that discussion by saying what's the one thing we want to avoid through your process you were like i just don't want to get sick yeah like how do i because you know if you don't take care of your emotions you don't take care of your body for sure for sure right yeah exactly exactly so absolutely so yeah so i think that um Nothing. I was going to say that um, I think you're uh, spot on about the fact that I think that not only do people avoid the conversation of their own demise, but I think that there's not a there's so many times I have attended uh, funerals or memorial services that are so inauthentic to the person who actually passed that there's an mm. em- emptiness, for example, uh Years ago, this stuck in my head. Years ago, there was an artist I knew in Poughkeepsie, an older man, and um, out of respect for his widow, life, wife, people, I won't say his name because his funeral was ridiculously nothing like him. He was was very vivacious and outspoken and creative, and um, I knew him through the theater. He did a lot of work for the theater. And I specifically remember say, talking to him about religion and actually his lack of practice. Like us, very spiritual in nature, but um, raised a Catholic and his wife's a Catholic, but he doesn't go to, he didn't go to church. So when he passed and the cast of characters that he knew and his, um, I can't even think like his joy de vie, you know, he was just so amazing. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to pay respects and we went to his funeral. It was a Catholic mass. They said mm. his name once and that was it. It was all mm. about his, you know, his being re- reunited with Jesus, which of course there's a place if that's where 
people believe it was really, you know, and it's, you know, like you say, it's, it's for the living who's, who is left. Right. And so, you know, I have to think like, okay, well, this is how his wife is going to be able to process his, his death. But unfortunately for the rest of us, like there was no celebration of his life. Right. You know, there was no, there was, you know, at, even afterwards in the in the church basement, it was very hushed. And I think because a lot of us who are not into it, we just were like, uh, we didn't feel comfortable being vocal in any way. And I mm-hmm. left feeling like I've never really mourned his loss, you know. Wow. And when dad hmm. was um, uh, when dad was fading, and you know, dad is that stoic Italian Catholic. Um, don't talk about it. You don't talk about money. You don't talk about shit. Um, I, re- I had to take him to a private place. I mean, a public place. Sorry, I'm tired. I took him to a public place and I said, I said, Dad, please. I said, do you know the day you die is going to be the worst day of my life? And please don't make the worst day of my life even worse. Like if, if you love me, can we have this conversation? And at first he was, he didn't want to, he was like, you girls will just figure it out. And I was like, no, dad, I'm going to be like, not able to sleep. I'll be crying. I'll be dealing with hysterical Kathy. And you want me to make decisions based on what I guess? That's not fair. Yeah. Please don't do that. Yeah. And he was, he, he really like, and the, and the waiter came over to take our order. And I said, no, we're not placing our dinner order until I have come back. Dad was like, what are you doing? Cause dad also <laughs> had no patience in restaurants. And I was oh, like, my God. we're not placing an order until you answer <laughs> questions. And he was so pissed. He was like, all right, fine. And the compromise was that what, what his, his hesitation was that he didn't want to make me executor of the will feeling like he was going to play favorites. So we negotiated that I would be co-executor with his brother, which I don't recommend only because what a fucking pain in the ass with two people, especially being far away and having to have two signatures. Luckily, me, Kathy, and my uncle were, you know, thick as thieves and were very close Mm. and open communication and there was no squabbling. Very easy. We were very lucky. But I tell you, if he didn't have that, you know, put in place, Mm -hmm. down to, we talked about, eventually he became, you know, once I broke the dam, you know, and treated it unemotionally at the time while he was living. And, and I said, so what do you want us to do? Do you want a party? Do you want us a church mass? Do you want, and he was, he thought about it and he's like, let me think about it. Come back to you. And actually for six months, we kind of planned, uh, his, how we were going to handle it. And it was such a relief because just like I predicted the day he died was the worst day of my life. And uh, Kathy and I were certainly not in any kind of shape to, Mm. you know, figure shit out by ourselves. Now, that being said, we've talked about it before. Dad treated everything so secretively. He actually created, he made us promise not to open. He had one envelope under the bed. Don't open it until I die. 
As soon as I die, open that envelope. And so there we are for three days. I'm like, what do you think's in the envelope? And Kathy's like, don't open the envelope. We promised. And I'm like, oh, my God. I just want to know, what are we in for? And so dad was like, he wrote me and Kathy a lovely letter. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're reading this, it's, I've passed and da da da. <laughs> and here's a key to a lockbox. There is of a key to a lockbox. Look for it. And he was not specific to where it was. So it's three o'clock in the fucking morning. Oh my God. And we're like, like scavenger we hunt. we're scavenger fucking hunt. Oh. And it was like the clues. Were, it was so stupid. It was so stupid. It was, like, it was like mystery theater in the house. It was like, oh my god. Oh. It was ridiculous. Oh then we found the so we found the lockbox. We didn't have the key, and it was such a big deal. And Chris was so exhausted by me and Kathy, like, what the fuck? We can't find it. And so Chris went on YouTube, and there was a little kid who had like like Addie's son Zach, who was like. So if you want to open up your mom's lockbox, just get a butter knife and do this. Here's the trick. And so Chris was like, give it to me. And then it wasn't until it wasn't until almost six months later when Kathy cleaned out the closet, she found the fucking thing hanging from the rack. Oh, off the back of the closet. I would have never found it. So stupid. It was like a scavenger hunt. Oh, my gosh. First of all, where we nobody's gonna find the fucking yeah who cares dad it was ridiculous yeah however i just have to say yeah and it wasn't like there was ten thousand dollars in the no no it was like not enough for us to like yeah but it was nice it was it was nice it was it was to cover incidentals because people were coming dad was even like by cold cold it was for cold cuts he actually wrote in the letter here's for cold cuts for when company comes oh Oh gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Cold that's cold. awesome. <laughs> he actually, he actually <laughs> wrote in the note. Cold cold. Yeah, and then he said, um, and uh, here's $100 for that girl I like. And I was like, what okay. the fuck does Wait that mean? Second. No, no, Wait no, let second. me finish. Because I want her to sing at my memorial service. And I remembered it was Lara Hope. Because um, oh, right. oh. dad used to come to the Rosendale Street Festival. And he always said, I want to go look at that. I want to go watch the girl I like. And so so then so we had asked, and they were so gracious, Lara and her husband, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. sang Johnny Cash songs at dad's memorial service. And I went to give her the envelope. She's like, oh, no, no, I can't take them. I was like, listen, my guinea dad put an envelope with a hundred bucks for that girl because I know it's you. You've got to take this hundred dollars. Wow. He made wow. Me, there was a note. He, he loved the girl at the bagel shop. He, oh, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so wait, first, first we went from you girls will figure it out. I don't want to talk about it to this. So here's Kathy. Yeah. Tell that story. So on the list, there's another, he's like, give a hundred dollars for the girl who owns the bagel shop down the street. And I'm like, okay, the bagel shop down the street. Okay, I have to know this girl. I don't know this girl. I'm going to go to the bagel shop. So here I am with $100. Oh, my gosh. And and an envelope for this girl who owns the bagel shop. So I go, well, first of all, dad would go there and get the old bagels. They And they eventually would hold aside dad's favorite poppy seed bagels. So they wouldn't run out because dad was too cheap to buy the fresh bagels because he was going to freeze them and toast them anyway. So eventually the girls at the shop were like, you know what? He's so nice. We're going to put aside 
the, the day bagels. old bagel. Nice. The hobo bagel. Ho- nice. nice. Yeah. So then. Nice. So then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess he built a rapport. He built a rapport with the owner of this young girl, uh, owner of this bagel shop. And she doesn't know me from Adam. Right. And so I go in and I'm like, um, excuse me, is the owner here? (laughs) I have to have this awkward conversation. I'm like, listen, you don't know me, but I am the daughter of the guy, the old guy with the white hair. (laughs) They really only know people by their (laughs) orders. Exactly. You have to tell by the order. That's how, that's how they remember in bagel. Yeah. 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 For sure, my kids worked in bagel shops. Yeah. That's and all they, they know. Like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh. Right. So, so she's like, "Oh yeah." I said, "Do you mind if we talk privately?" So now I'm really awkward. Like she's thinking I'm gonna ask her out on a date. So we're sitting there, and she's like, uh, "Can I help you?" And I was like, "Apparently, uh, my dad was very fond of you, and he thought of you like a daughter." I don't appreciate that, but he appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> she laughed, and I said, "Apparently, you're a daughter that he never had, and I don't appreciate it." But uh, on behalf of him, uh, I said he passed away, and he wanted to leave you this. He said you have to take better care of yourself, and she cried. Wow, she cried. So wow. I thought that was really very, yeah, it was very sweet. And we actually built a report afterwards. She came and she had a session with me and we, it was great. Oh, like, nice. so I, I was like, thanks dad. You gave me a, you know, a session. Nice. So. Can I, I on, yeah. On the, yeah, we, it was pretty nice. He, he had these, yeah. I just, on the, on the other side of that, like Go ahead. To talk, just the, the whole idea, like the way that we handled Tim's um, wake and funeral was really how he wanted it. When you're talking about, you know, it, the, the right idea. The thing is, it's outside, it was outside of the box, which I encourage people to do when you're talking about making, making um, a funeral awake, a celebration true to that person. People have to feel like they have permission to think outside of traditional boxes. And that's one of the things that our family is really good at. So um, it, it, for in Tim's case, he did not want to be laid out in a suit because nobody would have ever seen him in a suit unless it was a wedding or, you know, wedding really basically was the only time you'd see him in a suit. So right. he, he wanted to be laid out in his Giants gear. He was a Giants fan. He was a Yankees fan. And um, he was a heavy metal fan. So anybody, we asked people to show up in either their favorite sports team gear or their favorite band you know, gear. And that was really, you know, Love that. really, it was really true to who he was. And, um, but here's, I'm going to tell a funny story. When my, when my father-in-law passed away, he was the first of this trio I'm going to talk about. When he passed away, he was a huge fan of devil dogs and he was a huge Yankees fan. So we got this soft-sided uh, Yankees mm. cube and filled it with devil dogs at the funeral home. So when people came in, <laughs> they could take a devil dog and we weren't sure if this was going to be okay because Aww. it's food, but it's packaged food. So it should be fine. Right. So there was a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, this, this, this is what we do. This is what we do. We're going to make it like as approachable as possible. So there, there's a man who I love. I won't mention his name, but I love him and he's related to us by marriage and I don't see him as often as I'd like to. But when he came through the line and he came up to, you know, talk to us, he said, I love that you serve refreshments like because it was the devil dog. Right. So so we laugh about that. And he goes on his way. <laughs> <laughs> so, refreshments, it's great. so then my mother-in-law passes away uh, next and um, we forgot like we didn't we didn't do anything like that because that wasn't who she was. She was a very different person. And so he came through the line and he's like 
what, no cake? But there's no cake? I don't, I don't understand. There's always a cake at your thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when Tim passed away, I, re- I realized, sitting at the dining room table, house full of people, I realized we're going to see this guy. And I said, oh, my God, we have to, we have to be prepared for this. And so my daughter runs into the kitchen and there are little Drake's <laughs> coffee cakes individually packaged. This is not food I keep in my house. So somebody brought them and she said, we have these. And I was like, okay, great. Yeah. So a couple of days later is the wake and here comes this guy and his wife, very, very nice people. And I said, oh my God, Sam, we for my daughter, Sam, we forgot, we forgot. And she said, what makes you think we forgot? Now her boyfriend is wearing a band t-shirt with a leather jacket in honor of Tim she unzips his side pockets and and sticks her hands in and pulls out these coffee cakes and hands them to our friend and he lost it. That we would, <laughs> that we would just remember to do that. So yeah, that's awesome. So we just you know we just yeah. had these the ways that we handle things. It's a really non traditional way. Like when people do photo boards, the Bru- the Brock family would call them death boards. You know, like we just we make our own verbiage and our own language mm-hmm. for things. Um, just you know, just to make it not so it's a bad situation but let's put as much of ourselves and 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 humor or or just distraction in it as possible while still going through the process so i encourage people to really talk about what it is that they want and break i think that's just yeah go ahead kat no 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 i was just i was just like i just think that that's that's exactly the right thing to do is is touch on it where it's not taboo Right. Yeah. See, because if you don't do this, this is what happens. Right. I'll tell you what happens if you don't do these things. You end up, uh, you end up inheriting a house that your mother owns, and your mother isn't ready to pass on, <laughs> and she's staying in your the spirit of your mother. Decides she's going to break the fucking hot water heater because you're miserable and and wreck the house and try to get attention and you could feel her everywhere you go because she's not settled settled because we did not have devil dogs or coffee cakes that's it. or that's anything problem. because it was not planned <laughs> yeah it wasn't that's the problem yes so i am haunted by our mother right now and so I have her ashes still since 2013 on top of a cabinet. Yeah. And I realize that there is, she had absolutely no closure and that the one thing she asked us to do, we did not follow through with. And Mm. I think that that's the balance where we had, we had snacks. We had our (laughs) memorial for her was we had some snacks. Well, in our defense, before she died, I made it very clear that, you know, if you go, if you listen to the podcast, you know the story. Basically, mom made bad decisions that led to her death. Along the way, because it was kind of a a six-week process from stupid to end, along the way, (laughs) I said, I said to mom multiple times, so... You know, you're marching towards your own death. So, mm-hmm. you know, you should make nice with the people you have estranged yourself from. Because she, by the end, she had no friends. And she had, you know, barely a relationship with me. She had no real ties to extended family at all. And I said, now's the time. You have time. You can make change. And, like, what, what, and if, if and when you do die... 
Like, what do you want us to do for you? Mom did the, no, I don't want anything. Don't do anything. <laughs> the only thing I want is to spread my ashes at the house on the rock in Wisconsin. The fuck. We're like, okay, you weirdo. Okay. <laughs> and I'm God. like, no memorial service. And I, you know, mom knew that, you know, she had cut ties with pretty much everybody in her life. Sadly. Yeah. Very sadly. It was the, sad. The yeah. end of mom's life was very sad. And, you know, the only people who were, who would show up um, would be people like the people who work, who I work with, the people who Kathy works with, um, our friends, no, like, um, and, and pretty much everybody, you know, had a story about like how, you know, not great mom treated them and they would yeah. show up, yeah. you know, and, and in the meantime, dad would be paying, you know, a $12,000 fucking funeral bill, which is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So we were like, you know what, we'll just have a small dinner at my house yeah. with, you know, my uncle and his family. And, you know, really for my dad, really to make my dad feel better. But, you know, it, it really, like Kathy said, it really didn't provide us with a lot of closure because I know personally, I was still angry because it didn't have to happen. Um, mm. You know, she refused to do the physical yeah. therapy after procedures and she literally died of carbon dioxide poisoning, which, you know, when you, after you have an operation and they give you that that instrument to blow into to get your lungs stronger and that little ball falls up, you know, flies up. She refused to do it. And they were saying, and we got pulled aside by the doctor who was like, I'm telling you right now, if she doesn't do the physical therapy, she's going to die. And it's very simple. And she just refused to do it because, you know, she didn't like the physical therapist and she knew better than everyone and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, yes, lack of closure. And so, I, we learned from that experience with mom and I did not want that for dad. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I was really, um, but it's very, it is very funny how people, if you have people in your life, you want to have this conversation. And the first thing they say is, I don't want to have this conversation. You'll figure it out. It doesn't matter to me. All of those things are lies and you yeah. just push the issue and you'll be so you'll, you'll find that by the end they're giving you envelopes for people at the bagel store because yeah. you've given them permission to actually talk about it. So while we're at it, I want it to be very clear that when I die, I want a mariachi band that does covers, <laughs> that does nice. cover songs. Nice. Fantastic. Like Metalachi. <laughs> They're out of California. Something like Metalachi. Yes, Metalach. Yeah. Okay. Look them so up. love them so much. <laughs> so mariachi meets five yeah. finger death. You punch. have to. Have, you're going to have to fly them in from California. Okay. All right. Okay. Right. Well, yeah, they do more, but they do more like Black Sabbath. Like not. Oh, okay. Not. <laughs> okay. All right. Modern. They don't really do too much modern stuff, but like classic, classic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, that's what I want. And Good then I definitely I will know. have um, postcards to give to people. Fuck you. I never liked you. There's that. <laughs> nice. I have a list. Nice. Well, that, well, that, yeah, I yeah. think, I think. And I, of course, I'm going to be the uh, the bearer of that. <laughs> I, I think it's safe Excuse to me, say ma'am, that there's. Or I'm going to, or I'm going to actually gone. make Kathy give out things like Kathy always liked you. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I, I think your guests will get a lot of closure. There won't be any doubt about closure after your event. Yeah, 
Everybody will know. Yeah. Everyone will <laughs> no know. Doubt. No, no doubt. No doubt. None whatsoever. Yeah. You know what's, I don't, you know what's so funny is that I am so, I, I just want everybody to, you know, like when I go, I just, I, the only thing I ask is that you burn me with my cards so nobody can use them to, to communicate with me and you can have my gong, but I don't like whatever. And I'm one of those people like you, I'm going to be happy with whatever's going to make you feel like you have closure, but you're never going to have closure because all you have to do is just call my name and I'm going to appear like Beetlejuice. Right, for sure. So, you know, <laughs> exactly. I, I just, I feel very positive because it's a positive thing for me. It's a celebration for me. Like I, I want everybody to be happy for me because I'm finally going home. And so right. I think what's interesting is we're talking about a person like Tim who was so celebrate, like beyond celebrated, yeah. like he was just extraordinarily celebrated by hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah, I can I can interject and, and say that they did. he made such an impact in the community, and he they they did things like uh we had a we had a, a group of bikers who led us home after the wake the last night of the wake and and five jurisdictions of officers cleared the way so that we had a direct route home. And there was nobody, there was no traffic in our way. They cleared the 209, they cleared everything from the funeral home to our door. And people don't do that. We had a Memorial Day parade. They stopped in front of our house and, and you know, and presented arms to us, presented arms yeah. to us. So it really was, it really was extraordinary. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. That's amazing. And then we have somebody who, like dad who is just beloved by his family and very humble. And we were able to have that balance of, you know, celebrating and having humor and like being mindful in the grieving process. And then there's then there's there's individuals like mom who are not comfortable in their soul living. So they're not going to be comfortable in their soul dying. Right. And that's that was a conversation I wanted to just put out there that mm -hmm. um, I had to have a couple of conversations with some clients about, well, when well, I want to talk to so and so. And, and, and I, I thought that when they die, the best part of them go, you know, comes back. And the answer is no. Their soul here is a reflection of their soul when they pass. They don't instantly become gurus or right. Uh, right. saints right. or angels or guides. Right. They become a person mm -hmm. of the work that they did on earth. Yeah. So if they didn't do their work here, they're not doing, they have to do their work when they pass on. Right. And people, uh, souls like Tim, who obviously are on three levels up. Yeah. People like dad who just still wants to be a helper one level up yeah. and then mom is here. Shh, mom can hear me right now. <laughs> I have to be very careful because I don't want anything. I have to handle this. We're going to be doing, we're going yeah. to we're we're have closure for mom and I'm going to light a candle and help her find her way home because right. she's just so lost that she's in purgatory because she didn't do the work here. Mm -hmm. And for us who have been left behind it's how do we want to uh, this missing part inside of us that they they did have a part of us, whether good, bad, or indifferent. They were a part of us. How do we want to move on from them? And it's right. a, it's it, and it's it's up to us. Right. I could be really sad about it, or it could be really celebratory about it. I could be angry about it. I could be all sorts of things about it. But remember, holding on to anything that's not healthy is going to make you sick. Right. Holding on that you can't go on without the people who have gone home 
is going to make you sick. Absolutely true. And and so being honest about it and mindful mm-hmm. and seeking counsel and mm-hmm. listening to maybe this podcast and, and getting inspired to have these open dialogues, that's going to help you from being sick. Absolutely. And so I can't thank you enough, Susan, for for sh- for being open to share your story yeah. and and to have this healthy dialogue and to get that going because I've read your poems and your book is amazing and Thank so you. when it does come out uh, we'd love to promote it. it it's not out yet it's called grief bites it's it's really I I I watched you work on it so yeah. I, I know the the magic and the process it was a perfect thing to do in your grieving. Yeah, thank you. One so of the things you. one of the things I want to touch on quickly and and I want to thank you for this is that you know in the work that we do um uh, one of the things that I I'm really good at is jumping over the earthly process. I'm really good at like the higher meaning and the and I get to the higher place and I forget that I have to actually work through the grief process in a really in a really earthly way. And you would remind me of that. And you do to this day remind me like slow down. Yeah, it's great that you have that figured out, you know, three levels up, but you you have to actually in your earthly body get through that process. So when you talk about grief, it's not like it, it's not that people shouldn't walk the walk and that they just drop it and dismiss it or that they're somehow failing if they if they're feeling things. But what happens is you need to be moving. It has to be a movement forward, not like a hamster on the wheel. You don't keep staying on that same wheel. You want to be able to move forward as you process and digest and learn what you're supposed to learn or, or you know, assimilate what you're supposed to assimilate and then keep going. Um, because I am a big fan of jumping to the higher reasonings and, and, and then I'm still feeling stuff and I'm not sure why. And you're like, cause, <laughs> cause, cause you didn't process it yet. So take a minute and yeah. feel your feelings. So that mindfulness is really helpful. But that mindfulness also is, is, is a really, is a really concise space. It's not meant to carry on forever and ever. It's like, here's the moment, be in that moment, take what you need from that moment and now take the next step forward. Right. And that's where some people can get lost. They're either stuck in it and never let it go because if they stop if they stop thinking about that person or grieving that person that they don't love that person anymore that somehow grief is attached to the amount of emotion that you have for somebody right and i'd really like to dispel that yeah. because it's really not 100 percent. you know you really to be able to be respectful and carry on and and not to lay, lay down you know somebody would have wanted this it's not honestly what somebody would have wanted in this case it's really you're still here and you still have living to do you still have a path and if you cut that short short because you think you need to stay attached to a feeling because that means you don't love somebody. I'm here to tell you, please let go of that idea. Let go of that idea. You loved them for the time that they were in your life and you will continue to love them. It has nothing to do with being miserable or being unwell or not being able to discover more about yourself or to move forward in your own journey. And and, and you ha- still have work to do. You weren't, you're not dead. They are. And I say that bluntly because I can. So just to remind people of that, that they are still living and they still have work to do and that they don't have to stay attached to that grief, that they can love and keep moving. So I just want to throw that out there. Amen. Well, (laughs) Susan, yeah, I think that there's nothing to add to that. I'm not going to try to top that. The only thing I'm going to say is um, thanks Thanks, Susan. Yeah, and thanks, for having thanks me. to our listeners and thanks to the new members on Patreon. You know, for five dollars a month, you can help us keep this podcast going. Um, go to patreon.com and um, you know, join our circle. 
we have we have lots of discussions daily happening nice. and mm-hmm. um nice. yeah thanks all right yeah. well thank you guys yeah. good to see you susan yeah, thank you so here. much thanks for having Addie, me thanks don love you okay bye everybody bye, bye. Open up my window.